0: Welcome to One of Two Hundred, the independent media and politics podcast. I'm your solo host this morning, Kyle Church, and I'm joined by political outreach coordinator for People Against Prisons, Alteiro Finlay. Welcome to the Hello. podcast. So good to have you here. Thank you for um, agreeing to come and talk about a range of topics uh, alongside, you know, some of the more specific incarcerative. Um, and police issues that have been popping up in in the news very recently yeah so later on the cast we're going to have a chat about the IPCA um, that's the Independent Police Complaints Authority and the OPC also the
1: Privacy Commissioner (laughs) Uh, thank
0: you Um, report into the illegal uh, photographing of rangatahi over a, a quite extended period of time but Before we get into that, the other really big news of this week is the removal of basically all public health measures um, for the majority of the general public in New Zealand. If you're listening from overseas, uh, I guess very brief context, New Zealand had one of the stricter OECD or just kind of Western country public health responses We had lockdowns, we had masking um, and vaccine mandates uh, and very heavy suggestions um, around a range of these things. Um, Sometime in the last 12 months, uh, end of last year, we moved into a a traffic light system that was similar to the UK. And a lot of us who were kind of watching this from a comms or analysis point of view saw that as a kind of slow death knell um, of any real effective public health measures and we've finally reached that point now Um, you know we're post Omicron um, so so to speak Uh, our cases have reached similar numbers to other countries um, as have our deaths Um, I think we've led on on the death charts per capita, uh, something that New Zealanders love to do. Um, and we've just come through a, a pretty harrowing winter for a lot of people. Um, not only has COVID been an issue, but a whole bunch of other respiratory illnesses have slowed down um, and just overworked our, our health sector to just an insane ex- extent um and just as cases um COVID cases have started to well the reported cases have started to drop uh the government earlier this week uh thought it's a good time now to return to normal uh, and yeah remove any real uh significant comms around masking um remove any need for people coming into the country to, to have tested or, I think, be fully vaccinated. Um, yeah. yeah,
1: I think they're um, getting rid of all vaccine mandates next week, maybe. It's on the 26th, I believe. So there'll be no vaccine mandates. I believe that includes in healthcare settings, yeah. um, which is concerning for the... Uh, like not having the vaccinated workforce, but also a lot of the people who made the decision not to get vaccinated um, when they could uh, didn't necessarily have great reasons that the kind of conspiratorial thinking you might not want from, uh, you know, doctors and nurses uh, treating you.
0: Yeah, I think... I, the, the one public health measure um that was kind of mentioned in the stand-up um with our was masking stays for health sector um mm-hmm. and aged care homes. Um fantastic. Yeah, uh, you know, like that's great. Yeah. Um so there is that, but it really does beg the question of okay, so if masking sticks around, um to protect people from COVID in those situations. Why not anywhere else? And we've seen a range of responses. Um, Most of the epidemiologists and public health experts that I guess you'd say helped to create the initial response um, have been left by the wayside at this point. Uh, I don't think any of them are really happy about (laughs) these changes um they're a lot they're pretty diplomatic about it uh and you know talk about the vaccination rate um better access to antiviral drugs but also i think one of the the key points of note is okay we're getting rid of masking but we've had two years or so um to increase other public health measures like ventilation um, and and air cleaning. We can get rid of masks in schools. And you know, this is this happening earlier in the year as well. But you need to ensure those classrooms are, are well ventilated. And there's really no support or framework from the Ministry or from the government to make that happen. And we're seeing the same on public transport across the country as well. Um, we know from a bunch of uh, kind of viral science communicating that on buses in particular, airflow is is incredibly bad, and most bus companies have responded to that by saying it's too expensive. Um, we, we can't afford to put air filters into our buses, uh, and now are removing any mask requirements uh, from their buses as well. So yeah, I like. I know in Auckland, uh, where, where we had, I guess, the majority of the cases, I'm still seeing quite a lot of masking. Uh-huh. A lot of the people I talk to, you know, even not in my bubble, uh, I think they're, they're happy that we're moving back to normal, but are still like, OK, but I don't want to catch this disease. I'm going to wear a mask in close spaces. Uh, because we went through a period of time where we basically all had to do that. How are you mm-hmm. finding that kind of down in the the south of the country? I think it was a bit. It's been a bit worse in general down there for these sorts of things, right?
1: I think so. Yeah. Um, it's hard to tell. I on buses and stuff. It seems to depend a lot on the line. Like there's a couple of lines that I travel on that it seems like probably half, but others, not really anyone is wearing masks. At the school I work at, uh, there's not a huge amount of masking, but in terms of the students, that probably hasn't changed um, with this. There was already not a huge amount of masking. Um, Yeah, it's not... I haven't been to Auckland during the pandemic, so I can't really compare it. But, yeah, there's not a huge amount of masking. Um, I know we had... It would have been probably two weeks ago that we got air purifiers at school, which is good. They're not in every classroom, but it's also like, you know, September um, (laughs) 2022, and they really could have... um, That really should have been rolled out a lot earlier. Um, And, yeah, I mean, the buses are... Pretty bad. There's a lot of them don't have windows that you can open. So you really are just all kind of trapped in this um, airless, well, like airflow less space <laughs> with all these other people just kind of, yeah, breathing and coughing at times. And yeah, it would have been good to keep it on public transport. I believe that in some other countries they have kept it on pu- public transport.
0: I think in most Australian states they have, yeah. even though they've removed it at a federal level. Um, mm, yeah. So. I-
1: I would have liked to see, yeah, like the local, it's the regional council that do our buses. It would have been good for them to keep that requirement. But I guess if they don't have to, yeah, it's one of those things with, um, like, with Ardern's speech and with the way that it's being communicated. They've sort of said like we're still encouraging masks, but they really aren't at all (laughs) um that's kind of said there but it's also like i think the greens were pretty much the only party that were wearing masks in parliament after they um got rid of the mandate for it and yeah there's not still a huge amount of comms saying you don't have to wear a mask anymore but you should probably wear a mask because it will keep you and everyone else that bit safer
0: that. Yeah, it's the individualization again, right? Um, mm. we encourage individual people to wear masks. Um and they must know. Right? they must know the difference between. I mean, if we talk, if people want to talk about Ardern being like one of the most fantastic political communicators on the planet, mm. um there's no way that her and her strategists don't know the effects. Um a difference in effect of encouragement versus a mandate uh, yeah the yeah. immediate response is oh if, if it's not necessary if it's something that we don't have to do mm. then we're not going to get sick like it's it's not as much of a threat anymore um, yeah that just makes sense in the backs of people's heads and I think you're seeing a lot of that
1: I think for so long like we knew that we could trust our government to tell us the right thing to do and stuff that was informed by science and then when that kind of dropped away, I think a lot of people were still like, well, the government have said all these things, and I already know that I can not trust them. So I don't need to wear a mask. Yeah. And even getting rid of the, um, like, not mandating the booster, you know, they're sort of like, well, I guess I don't really need the booster because they did say I needed these ones, but this seems um, less important.
0: Yeah. They... They built up this huge amount of trust with the New Zealand public mm. to the extent, you know, that they were returned with this majority um, in 2020. Like, it's just unprecedented um, in our political system. Uh, and it basically used it for evil uh, to yeah. get people to buy into the, these new frameworks and now the dissolution of the health measures. I, I don't know... What happens at this point? Uh, it's the uncertainty <laughs> for you know, and this is one of the most incredible things to me was that was the some of the wording um, in the announcement was that they've sort of give New Zealand a certainty um, about like the summer. Like, it absolutely yeah. does not. Like no. <laughs> we, we we know that most new variants are coming in from overseas. We're removing <clears> all those precautions. Um, we don't know when different peaks are going to be. We haven't got modeling for that because we don't know where things are coming from anymore. We're dropping reporting. Um, yeah. Wastewater reporting has already been at odds uh, with our uh, personalized kind of rat reporting um, for COVID cases. Businesses have said, oh, you know, all these public health measures are not all businesses, um, but business representatives. And I do want to make a carve out there because like the big business conglomerates here um, and the, I guess, lobby groups that generally get into the media are far more extreme than your general New Zealand, small and medium business owner um, have been saying that they have to get back to normal because they're, you know, cafe is suffering, or or whatever. Um, mm. And then weeks later, are complaining that they can't find any staff because everyone's sick with COVID.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And the same is happening with public transport. Um, you know, encouraged to wear masks. We're still interested in keeping you safe, uh, but there's no mandate to wear masks. We're not putting air filters on here. Sorry. Uh, more than half your buses are cancelled because all the drivers are out. <laughs> yeah. Like there's absolutely no certainty. No. Um, introduced okay. from this. Like, ab- like completely the opposite.
1: And we also don't have any idea of when everyone is going to be able to get the second booster, when we're getting the like bival- bivalent, is that what they're called? The Omicron um, yeah. boosters. We don't know. Like, are we ever going to all be able to get antivirals or is that going to be restricted? Um, A lot of things which, if you lived in the States, you would be able to access.
0: Horrible to think about that. Yeah. Like, the States, (laughs) the US. (laughs) most horrible, like, uh, extractive uh, healthcare Mm. systems in the world.
1: Yeah, like, we have taken parts of responses from other countries, but we've kind of ignored the part where they're like... Also, you can get better vaccines and you can access medication that will you know, reduce how severe this is for you. Um, which, in some ways, seems like a very New Zealand approach. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll do that. Like, we don't have all the stuff um, and we don't really want to pay for the medication, but like, yeah, we can do what the states are doing. Yeah. Um,
0: it's incredibly frustrating, and, oh. you know, the other kind of big thread running through this is the effect for, uh, I guess generally vulnerable, immunocompromised, mm-hmm. um, elderly, disabled people in general. It just, it, it truly does just throw them to the wolves. Like, if you're individualizing the response to this extent, um, where the public health measures are encouraged, um and not even with particularly strong language.
1: No. no.
0: You know, anyone in a in a position um where we're getting COVID will severely well, I mean a- anyone who gets COVID it can severely uh, affect their life, but who has a, a much higher chance of that because of mm. existing uh conditions, um and what 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 are they meant to do? Um
1: yeah, any uh, of the like supposed certainty that people who are healthy and young gain is coming at the expense of like a significant percentage of the population. Far oh, more being
0: so than people safe. expect.
1: Yeah, 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 um, and it's coming at the expense of anyone working in healthcare as well, right? Like. Um, My stepmom's a nurse educator and she spent two or three months during winter working seven day weeks because she was covering at the hospital, which she hasn't done for like 10 years because she's been working in a university and like, yeah, there's a lot of people who have had to, even outside of healthcare, like anyone in hospitality has been working like horribly long shifts, horribly busy, um, you know, long weeks, not able to get any time off because everybody is sick with COVID. Um, <laughs> and yeah, like there's so much, there's, yeah, any freedom from the COVID protection kind of is lost because you don't have that freedom with COVID in the community. It's, yeah. I know they said they did it, um, they, where is it? Cabinet has determined that based on public health advice, we are able to remove the pub the, the traffic light system. I am curious about their public health device. That's been uh, incredibly hard advice. to get hold of.
0: Yeah. Uh, so people have tried to OIA this, like mm. particularly stuff around the traffic light and what the inputs were mm. um, for moving levels um, or for bringing it in, like where they got the advice and people, just can't get hold of it and you know there have been stories in the media of like um like leaks that it was ideological um more than it was scientific um and yeah i don't don't know if we'll ever have an answer uh Mm. yeah there's certainly information out there. there there are certainly studies out there which you can use to justify this um you know it's that uh the John Key pay-in of <laughs> I can find another lawyer. I, I can find another epidemiologist. She'll tell yeah. me that I that I can. Yeah. Um, and I think the really lucky thing we have here in New Zealand is that our our health communicators uh, and our people in epidemiology mm. uh, have been very outspoken. Yeah. That, like on mass that they don't agree with this. And it's been stunning to see the way that they have been sidelined. Yeah, um, yeah the media was always trying to, to some extent, um, and especially over the last twelve months. Um, but it's incredibly rare to see, even you know, Susie Wiles mm. um, in in the media anymore when she basically led the comms response and and yeah. Like for those first twelve months,
1: yeah, definitely. Um, was it Kate Hawksby who was saying had her uh, like column about? Oh, we've got rid of the COVID response. Can we get rid of the epidemiologists too? Just like,
0: it's it's intentionally inflammatory, right? Yeah, like, yeah. She is just being a little shit. Yeah, <laughs> but it it works. It, hmm. You know, it, it has inflamed me. Yeah, true. And it's just it's just a a horrible, horrible thing to write. Like, yeah, it really is. It does hark to some of the more egregious brags that you see in the UK or the US. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, I know News Talks SB or the Herald or whoever have a bunch of columnists who are pretty fucking awful. (laughs) Um, But this, yeah, just. I don't get it. Um, we've had the media and the business kind of try to um, push this narrative since the beginning of the pandemic. In a lot of ways, um, they have finally won. Um, you know, the the government has been on a, a slow cave in to that uh, since end of last year. Uh, and this is, and their response is not, oh yeah, let's get on with stuff now. Um, you know, they're not they're not celebrating really. Their, no. their first instinct is to go after um, people that they see as targets. Um, yeah. And I think it says everything you need to know about that sector um, yeah. of, of our media and, and politics. You, you had this really performative response from numerous national MPs, um, crowing about the mask mandate being removed um and being maskless on flights and putting masks in bins. Yeah. It's just pathetic. Um yeah. you know, it's just like, ha, we're owning the libs kind of stuff. Um, you know, taking a lead from some of that uh US political style. But why? Like you you literally don't need to do this. You know, they if they really need to um explain to the public how much they agree with this situation, they can stand up and give like a, a measured um conversation yeah. about it as well in the same way that Adern did. Um yeah. but I I don't know if I understand like and, and I don't know if that this is being kind to them by, by saying they don't understand their constituents like a lot of them are disabled or have pre-existing conditions or have lost yeah. people to COVID or have long COVID themselves you know yeah. a growing number of long COVID um, patients here in New Zealand and yeah I it's disgusting it's but it feels like that's the political environment now um, yeah and as much as anything else the focus has to be on, okay, so what, what can we do to raise support for or raise visibility of um, or push the government in that environment mm. rather than to reverse uh, the health measures changes? Because I don't think that that will be happening at this point.
1: No, I think it's unlikely. And it's one of those things that, even if we did go back to having something like that, I think it would have to look different, both like politically and also simply because the traffic light system wasn't (laughs) really working. (laughs) Um, It wasn't a good system. Yeah. So we'd have to do something different. Um, And if you're not releasing public health advice and don't seem to be, I know when we initially went to the um, traffic light system, they just kind of stopped contacting all their epidemiologists and public health um, experts, and were just talking with, you know, the private sector and, like, business leaders about what they want. So I don't really know. Yeah. Yeah, it feels very uncertain, which is the opposite of what we are supposedly going to be getting.
0: I guess the other thing as well, just in terms of returning to any um, health measures is that... Of a successive um, removal of health measures over the course of the last twelve months, um, Ardern has said, "Oh, but we can. We always reserve the right to bring these things mm. back um, if you know a new horrible variant appears, um, or if cases get further out of control." Um, as a kind of nod towards people who would prefer these measures to stay in place, mm. and it just never have. Um, no. So, you know, there were never any more lockdowns, even when Omicron went absolutely mm. crazy um, over winter. Um, there were never further mandates. Um, nothing that has left a public health response has ever been uh, brought back into the public health response. So I don't think uh, that anyone in this space should be relying on this Labour government to, to take those kind of steps.
1: No. And we don't have... I don't know that we had that possibility even kind of mentioned this time, did we?
0: I think there was a, a single sentence, right, uh, around uh, potentially bringing back masking requirements uh, yeah. in specific circumstances. Yeah. But again, like there's this. It feels like, uh, and I've seen some of this mirrored in um, you know PR outriders and, and stuff from the Labor Party and elsewhere. Mm that was a sense in Wellington um, that the unwashed masses uh, are immensely uh, upset about public health measures at this point. uh, And people are becoming increasingly frustrated and they have to remove them because it's a public good at this. And and they would never, you know, all the political capital has been used up uh, and thus they could never return to those times because people just wouldn't have it. Mm. And I... I don't know where they're getting this information. I, I, I think we're probably listening to a very, yeah, you you said before specific subset of of business leaders uh, and lobbyists and the like who are pushing this idea constantly. Mm-hmm. But, people like even in Auckland where we had the hardest lockdowns i i think it's it's fair to say that yeah um, definitely and the most lockdowns mm. uh, and we're the biggest city people are still like masking pretty regularly like mm. you know you'd see complaints pop up every now and then oh like no like very few people on the bus are masked today um but i i've i have a pretty high risk tolerance so i've been uh, out and about, um, even as someone who's <laughs> immune compromised, mm. um, And by and large, people are masked in spaces that need to be masked in. Yeah. Um, you know, people are, by and large, not in the community sick. Yeah. Although that that too ha- has been slipping. But people are following these measures. And, you know, I don't like wearing a mask either, but... <sighs> You know it's uncomfortable, uh, mm. but people people do it because they know that it's it's necessary. And yeah, very very quick shift um, after our dent announcement to seeing a, a lot less people doing it. I I think there's this understanding or feeling within labour that they're they're being led by the by the public. You know, people talk about maybe mm. being a polling government. They just do what the public allows them to do. I don't think it's true at all. In this case, public health measures are communicated from the top, um, and you can see basically causative um, responses to mm. to what they've communicated, and then what the public does. I yeah, it's.
1: And I think any of the um, like public willingness to follow them, um, public health measures like that has slipped at the same time that comms have been slipping. Yeah. Like it started to really kind of fall apart, I guess, towards the end of the lockdown when we had Delta.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, traffic so light system. Came last on,
1: right. year, when a traffic light system comes in and then suddenly it's all very confusing and complicated and it doesn't make sense and it feels kind of pointless. Um, and I think a lot of that, Like, I think to an extent, there definitely has been that, um, I guess, erosion of public will to follow the measures. But I don't think that that's something that has happened um, completely independent of how the government have communicated it and what those public health measures are and all of that. I think it's, they've kind of gone together in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, again, um, for anyone... uh thinking that Labour didn't have some uh, amount of control over this, you know, celebrated as being one of the best, uh, Ardern in particular, um, at political communication um, in the world. They absolutely <laughs> know, know what these changes do. Like, it's, it's just, you, you can't say, oh, look, they look how well they did it here um, and say, oh, no, they have no control over it um, in, in these circumstances because X, Y, Z. Like it yeah. doesn't, they they absolutely know um, communications analysis strategy and theory, uh, and it was very very clear from the beginning of that slide uh, to to lay people um, even um, let alone kind of media analysis freaks like myself <laughs> um, that it was not going in the good direction. So you can't have it both ways. You you can't both. Um, hail uh, Jacinda Ardern um, for being fantastic at this uh, and then claim that, oh, they couldn't have known uh, that this would have been the result. Yeah, it's immensely frustrating. Um, like, I I don't use the term gaslighting often. I think it's been uh, watered down significantly, but uh, it, it very much is the case um, in, in this sense. Have you seen any of the... Um, Stuff coming out of like the US around uh, removal of masking mandates, like some of the ridiculous public health advertising from like public transport.
1: Oh, yeah. What was it? The, the you do you.
0: You do you. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm wondering how long it is before we start to have that sort of thing here in New Zealand. Mm. Um, Which is,
1: yeah, encouraging people to not wear masks. Yeah. Wear them and bizarrely just, and incorrectly.
0: Hee hee. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, but this is enough. That's enough. That's enough about COVID. Yeah, it, it's something we're gonna, we are we're forced to live with now. Um, I hope everyone out there is is keeping themselves safe as as much as possible. i yeah, heard, it was good to see the Green Party uh, actually be mm. vociferous uh, about this. um yep. where they haven't necessarily been previously. I don't think it's going to make a difference um, in this case, and we probably can't run it in. Um, 2023, but I think what people need to focus on is stuff like removing benefit sanctions um, yeah. for everyone on benefits, but particularly mm-hmm. for the disabled and vulnerable. Um, so at least they have some iota um, of of resource to keep themselves safe.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: All right. On to our second topic, uh, which is why we have you here as a guest uh, this morning, and that's the IPCA and OPC report into a legal police photographing of um across New Zealand.
1: Yeah.
0: Do you want to give yeah. us, like... I mean, you see, like, the headlines on that, uh, and you're like, well, this is bad. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it is like, bad. Yeah, and... okay. What is the context here because I remember seeing stories about this? Like, wait a second, uh, uh, people were wondering about are, are police just out there photographing kids outside of schools? Um, and that was maybe 12 months ago. Uh, and now we've had this report. So, when, when did this come out? Um, and I guess what triggered it?
1: Um, so this. I guess the background is um, in, I believe it was in 2020, late 2020, um, RNZ reported on um, a couple of cases of police in Wairarapa um, illegally photographing um, Rangatahi there. And then after this, more cases came forward and um, the IPCA and OPC uh, got involved to do a broader inquiry. Um, Initially it was into, I believe, five um, specific cases. And in the course of the inquiry found that this is a widespread process um, happening across the country. Um, A lot of it is specifically photographing um, young people, but also adults as well. Um, And as is usually the case with our police force, um, most of the people (laughs) who they're targeting are uh, Māori and young Māori. And this is put down, even in the report, you know, they use the term unconscious bias, but it really is just racism that's embedded into the police force and into the justice system as a whole and broader society too. So it initially they were looking at how police were photographing um, people in public places. Um, this was something that was a lot of police officers seem to be under the impression that they are just kind of allowed to do. Um, If it's in a public space, you can kind of take a photo of other people, which to an extent is maybe true if you're like a lay person on the street taking a photo and there's a person in the background. Um, But the police really aren't allowed to just go around taking photos of whoever they want Um, for no reason. They specifically need to have um, a reason. You need to have a specific, um, like genuine concern that it is related to a particular investigation and it needs to be used like specifically for that purpose.
0: Even um, there are meant to be checks and balances on our security state.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's wild, but there are. Um, there's... A, few, a lot of different reasons, um, so I've got a list here. So one of the um, main reasons that they were taking photos of people in public was um, that some they seemed out of place or um, suspicious in some way, whether that's, uh, I mean, it is very undefined. Often it would yeah, be- Yeah, it's incredibly vague. Um, Sometimes it would just be someone that they didn't know, particularly in a smaller town. It's like, I don't recognize this person, so I'm going to take a photograph so I can identify them at a later date or for future reference.
0: Um, Hi, oh, there's so many kids around this school. <laughs> That's suspicious. We're going to take some photographs. Yeah.
1: Um, often someone wearing any, like, gang insignias. Um, if they didn't recognize a gang member, um, just take a photo, pass it around to your policemates, see if anyone knows who they are, if there's uh, sort of the sense that maybe they were given the wrong details by someone. Um, a lot of it is really the justifications were kind of like a hunch or some kind of unexplainable reason that they felt like they needed to know who this person was at some point in future would come up um one that i think is particularly disturbing was taking photographs to keep track of how someone uh how someone's appearance changes if they are believed to like if they have prior offenses um so that they can be i guess recognized in future um,
0: Wow. and and that would um, have been part of why the privacy commissioner was called in, right? Yeah, because it would have been that had been storing this data.
1: Yes, yes, and that is a big. The storage of the data is a big concern as well, um, which kind of leads into another issue that they uh, found, which was that particularly in terms of uh, like biometric prints, like palm and fingerprints, um, but also photographs as well. When people were being brought into custody, police would take uh, voluntary duplicate sets of prints and photos um, that wouldn't be... So generally, these photographs and prints are uploaded to a database that is automatically audited. And if you are not prosecuted or you are prosecuted but not convicted, they get deleted yeah.
0: automatically. Like but, good privacy yes. kind of restrictions, right?
1: Yeah. But if these duplicate sets wouldn't be uploaded, they would be stored on phones, um, then taken and stored on mobile phones so that they wouldn't be automatically uploaded to this database. So they,
0: they knew that they would, yes. like, they'd systematized yeah. the avoidance of yes. the, restrict- the, the like legislative restrictions on their ability to hold private information about people that are photographing and taking biometric data from.
1: Yes. Yeah, it is. Some of this, I think you could probably say they just don't understand the law. No. But if you are choosing to you take a photo on your mobile phone rather than the custody suite cameras, because you know that the custody suite camera is uploading the photo to a database and it will be deleted, but you can store this in thousands of other photos on your phone. Like that is a very deliberate act of law-breaking, I guess. Um, And particularly with prints, like this is something that was almost every single officer that they had interviewed had taken duplicate prints from people. Um, It is in terms of these uh, duplicate more um, voluntary prints um, there was both uh, an official form that they had for people to consent to what is ultimately like unlawful practice by the police um, and also the I've got a quote here um, the workplace assessment requirements for probationary constables required them to obtain a set of so-called voluntary biometric prints from you or to show proof that they had made at least three efforts to obtain voluntary prints.
0: I mean, that just throws any, any thoughts that they didn't know the law, yeah. um, or that this wasn't they weren't intentionally breaking the law mm. out the window. Like they systematize this. That yeah. You don't have a a templated form unless you're actively trying to do something.
1: No. And there were officers as well reporting that. Um, superiors or youth aid sections in the police had emphasised that wherever possible they should be photographing youth who are either known or suspected to be involved in offending. So this is very much something that is not a couple of police officers making a decision to photograph people when they shouldn't. It is a system across the police um, where... They are ignoring, you know, the Privacy Act, and um, even parts of the Policing Act, which say that they have to be destroying prints and destroying photographs. Um, There are also, you know, extra protections for young people around, as you heard, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) um, how police interact with them, and very much. taking photos without really obtaining consent or um, sort of not, at the very least, not explaining why they're taking the photographs and what the photographs are going to be used for. Mm -hmm. Um, In one of the cases, um, the specific cases that they were looking into, um, a police officer had threatened to arrest someone if they didn't allow their photo to be taken. So even these, um, like, consensual photos or voluntary photos and prints that have been taken, there is uh, a pretty big question about what does it actually mean to consent to something that the yeah. police have asked
0: you to do. With the police, there's always, like, a underlying element of coercion, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's just the nature of how they exist in our society but if that's made like explicit as well in some of these cases yeah uh what <laughs>
1: <laughs> and they throughout the uh report they've kind of repeated that gaining consent from someone doesn't give police uh like the leeway to do something that they are not legally allowed to do yeah Like, that's not really how the law works. Um, And so even if all of these cases they have, like, willingly and, like, knowingly and without coercion consented to have police take extra photos or prints or take photos of them on the side of the road when they're not really doing anything other than maybe looking suspicious for whatever reason to this
0: one cop, like, they're still not allowed to do that. You still can't do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, is there any indication in the report from the police as to why they have built the system? Why they're going like around the legislation to this extent?
1: It seems to be that they believe it helps them with intelligence gathering and their ability to um, fight crime somehow. Um, somehow. Yeah.
0: That's pathetic. So
1: I guess having prints on record when you're not supposed to have them on record gives you a bit of a database. But, um, yeah, it, it's all these um, – Yeah, it is. There's not really a clear reason for them to be taking many, if not most, of these photos. Um, and there are situations where they are allowed to take photos of people, um, where it is considered lawful if it's specifically to do with an investigation.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but you, yeah, it's it's not clear how these photographs are helpful in any real kind of meaningful way. Um, It's just surveillance creep. It is. It's just surveillance creep. Um, And in the response from the police commissioner, Andrew Costa, he also kind of accepted the findings of the inquiry. Hey, that's Um, a
0: pretty new one.
1: Yeah, but also that some of the findings and recommendations present significant challenges to our staff being able to carry out their duties successfully, which. I mean, if carrying out your duties successfully involves breaking the law, like, there's some questions about your duties.
0: <laughs> and, yeah, there's some questions about your staff, mate.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think one thing that was quite... speaks to, I guess, the culture in the police about how they view these kind of things. Um, that So, Section 21 of the Bill of Rights is the right for you to be secure from unreasonable search and seizure, Mm -hmm. Um, and some officers had sort of expressed the belief that that gave them the right to stop and search people as long as it wasn't unreasonable, um, which could include taking photos. And it's a fundamental, like, misunderstanding of what this law is here to do. Like, it isn't to give police the right to do what they want. (laughs) It's there to stop um, people from being stopped and searched for no reason. And it's been played
0: again and again, like, in multiple jurisdictions that, Mm -hmm. like, this is not a good thing for police to be doing.
1: No. And, yeah, stopping people for no particular reason or... For a reason that doesn't actually relate to whatever it is that they're supposedly doing.
0: For being Um, Māori, it sounds like, in in many cases. Yeah,
1: Yeah, in a lot of cases, definitely. Um, Yeah, just like fundamentally misunderstanding what that law is supposed to be doing and kind of twisting it in a way that says that like, oh yeah, no, it's fine, I can do what I want as long as it's not unreasonable without acknowledging that Doing it just because you want to is what they mean by that. Yeah, um, you yeah. Have
0: to like people in the police, you know, police leadership, they they must understand this. They must understand mm-hmm. that. I mean, it's just it's like their whole job is to understand, <laughs> like like what yeah. is legal and what is illegal definitely um so there's kind of like a a genuine feeling um among the public that the ipca um is one not not truly independent um and Mm -hmm. two toothless uh when it comes to actually enforcing any rulings yeah what you know you said andrew costa um had accepted these findings um beyond just doing some PR, what recourse is there here? What is is likely to happen, do you think, or what is already being signalled is happening?
1: Um, One thing that is good is that even while they were doing this inquiry, they found that particularly the photographing of young people had, particularly in certain areas, been um, restricted quite a lot, whether that's because of the bad PR of having news articles about how police are photographing people illegally or whether that's because for whatever reason, they didn't know that they weren't supposed to do this. Um, Like, I don't know if that had been driven by superiors or by officers themselves, but that generally had been toned down a little. I don't know that that would have applied to duplicate prints and duplicate custody photos, Mm -hmm. given uh, that it is sort of a job requirement for them to do it. I would imagine that that wouldn't have changed. The inquiry has a lot of recommendations for
0: the police. We love recommendations.
1: Yeah. I think that they probably, it looks like they have, um, they're going to introduce a training program about how to use um, and how to take and manage photographs that police have taken. Um, And yeah, they've said that they will, have an ongoing commitment to balancing investigation requirements with the people's right to privacy, which is not exactly <laughs> what I think they were trying to get with this requir- uh, inquiry and the recommendations. Yeah, I think they were specifically saying like you need to be upholding these parts of the law that tell you what you can and can't do, not. You need to think about that and balance it with.
0: Um, yeah, you still you can still do it but as long as it's balanced with. Yeah. Um, with not doing it sometimes.
1: Yeah. That's
0: um, disappointing.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that's kind of the nature, I guess, of what happens with I, the IPCA. Um, there's definitely times when they really don't seem. Independent, and they do kind of—they don't uphold complaints when they probably should. I don't believe that they've ever ruled a police shooting to be um,
0: unwarranted,
1: <laughs> unwarranted, or like that the police officer has been in the wrong for when they have shot and killed someone um, because of various, including um, when they shot and killed a bystander a number of years ago, but also when they do. Uphold complaints and um, criticize the police actions. The police really are able to choose whether or not they implement those. Um, yeah. And I think it would be very difficult to, you know, I'm all for calling for firing every police officer who engaged in this practice. Um, we probably wouldn't have many left.
0: Hey, and, not a bad thing.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, But I think particularly the senior officers who had pushed this kind of behavior, there really does need to be um, quite serious consequences for that in the same way that you would expect for any other government um, or like state agency really, um, or any person who has been, continually, like, breaking the law as they go about doing their job. Um, And knowingly. Yeah, and knowingly,
0: definitely. Does the privacy commissioner being involved mean that there is potential for more recourse here? Or is it also going to fall into the kind of ambit of, of recommendations that will be implemented maybe if the police feel it suits them?
1: Um, I actually don't know the answer to that question. I'm sorry. Um, That's
0: fine. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think anyone does. No. I don't know
1: that there is anything specific that the Privacy Commission will be doing with this. Um, I don't know that it necessarily gives the recommendations more weight. It might do. I would hope that it does. Um, But I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, I've seen incredibly little coverage of it, mm. um, as usual. Um, yeah. with <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, it's it's incredibly frustrating that we have, like, these huge systemic issues that are, mm. like, ripe for reporting on. Like, yeah. you know, there's a lot of stuff to get into here. There's a lot of information that the public deserves to have in front of them. Um, and instead we get, you know, wall-to-wall ram raid videos. Yeah. Mm. Um, which, you know, like, purportedly the police have been trying to slow down youth crime by recording and videoing them and taking their prints for the last two years at a minimum. Um, As you say, like, there's absolutely no effect of this. Um, No. And police themselves have been saying this, year, like, we need better social services, you know? Yeah. Like, at some point level they know that overwhelming surveillance creep doesn't work like no it's it's not actually solving any of the problems it's just something that they want to have
1: yeah yeah and there has been really good reporting by rnz on this and they did really trigger this um inquiry but beyond that it has been pretty quiet in the media um which is like it is quite a big story um
0: i mean it's a huge it's it's a huge scandal
1: (laughs) it's a big scandal it's not something that yeah a lot of it is also very clearly wrong to a lot of people i think especially stuff like tracking how people's appearance changes like i think most people have a sense of like that's not right
0: <laughs> yeah or, or putting and, stuff on phones to avoid it yeah. being put on a database which is absolutely just, like yeah. that's just like fraud
1: yeah yeah a lot of it is um very clearly wrong and i think it is um i think it's very interesting that an inquiry into something that is a lot narrower initially has become like quite a big thing and like how many other issues like this in the police force are also happening that we don't know about. Um, And it would be good to see more reporting on.
0: What does does Papa see as being the People Against Prisons Aotearo see as being like the ideal outcome here?
1: uh, Yeah, that's a good question. (laughs) Um, I think that there needs to be, I mean, it needs to immediately stop this practice, any of um, whether it's photographing and filming people in public or whether it's um, the uh, duplicate prints, like that needs to end immediately. And I think that there does need to be accountability for um, both um, like officers who have engaged in this behavior, but also the institution as a whole that has encouraged and, uh, you know, at times required police to be doing these things um it's a pretty big breach of human rights and um particularly of young people um of rangatahi and there needs to be more than a recommendations that are then ignored by the police um and i think it needs to also be these kind of things um I think there does need to be more public knowledge about them because people in general need to know that, you know, this institution that we use to uphold the law is not doing that and is not doing that because upholding the law is, well, upholding the law for themselves doesn't allow them to do all of the things that they want to do. And that is kind of the nature of it, that As an institution, they want more control and more surveillance over people. And if the law says that they can't do that, they will find or create loopholes so that they can. Yeah, at the beginning of the inquiry, they speak to the um, fakama that the young people in the Fano were experiencing as a result of um, police photographing them. And you know, they say like to restore the balance, the fakama needs to shift from the funnel to the police to acknowledge the ways in which their actions have impacted people and also how mm-hmm. they have just the ways in which they have breached, you know, a number of different laws and like breach people's human rights in order to, you know, have these, you know, tens of thousands of photos of people who seemed suspicious.
0: And seem suspicious and very heavy. Yeah, yeah,
1: there's there's big <laughs> scare quotes there um, because it is, you know, anyone who has had extended contact with, you know, the police or with the criminal justice system kind of, I think, knows that there are these things like this in ways in which are really unethical and often illegal ways in which, you know, these institutions are the ways in which they because they act and the ways that they treat people. Um, and there needs to be kind of a broader acknowledgement of that um, And rather than having that like shame and um, distress being on the people who are mistreated, that really needs to be on the police and on you know if it's in terms of prisons, on corrections um, and so on.
0: Hey, thank you so much. For coming and sharing to us about it.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's not a nice thing to talk about and read, but I think it is important.
0: Yeah, and and where can people um. If, they, if they're interested in, in finding out more or getting involved with uh, Papa, um, where can they find you? I can give you the link to the full report if anyone is interested. I can put that. Um, I'll, I'll put the full report link in the summary. Awesome.
1: Um. Also, I mean, Papa is on. A lot of social media. I think we're at prisons, oh, at against prisons um, on Twitter. Um, <laughs> generally, if you search people against prisons out you'll find us. Um, we're heading into the end of the year, um, which means our yearly uh, Christmas card drive for APM um, pals in prison is going to be running. Um, and it's always a really nice way to get involved and kind of. Share um, some like joy and uh, like Aroha and care with people who are going through a pretty rough time in prison. Um, Get involved if you're interested, whether that's just like sharing stuff or actually becoming a member. Yeah, it's all good.
0: (laughs) Hey, um, I'll pop links to all of that stuff uh, in the summary. Uh, So go and have a look if you're interested in that. Uh, That's been another episode of one of 200 uh, Patreon link in the summary as well. As usual, if you want to throw us a few dollars to, to keep us somehow running um, in this increasingly crunched media environment, uh, we are on a range of different social media. Um, you can find us at one of 200nz and on Twitter. Come and say hi, always happy to answer questions and take requests. And other than that, thanks for listening to Another episode. We'll catch you later in the week or next weekend. Catch you later.
1: See ya. The relentless routines, the dying embers of your dreams. Is the lie aspirational? Will you die keeping your glass half full? The relentless routine. This of your dreams is a lie Will you die keeping your glass half full You don't hate your nation, you hate nationalism You don't hate your nation, you hate nationalism Capitalism Oh, you turn hate my name's No